Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes meeting weekly for a rugged outdoor workout and a real-world devotion around a fire. We're flipping tires, swinging sledgehammers, talking about real struggles, and getting pushed physically and spiritually to become the husbands, fathers, and leaders God designed us to be. We'll get you out of isolation, out of your comfort zone, and into something tribal, rugged, and real. Welcome to the Men's Alliance podcast. I am Dave Mills, call sign Goose. And with us today, we've got an incredibly special guest that I'm so excited about. We've got Alex McFarland. Alex McFarland is a youth culture and religion expert. He's also the leader of Alex McFarland Ministries, alexmcfarland.com, if you want to check that out. He is the creator of Viral Truth Clubs and co-author of 100 Bible Questions and Answers. Also, one of my favorite books of his is The 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity and How to Answer Them Confidently. So, Alex, welcome to the Men's Alliance Podcast. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you, Dave. I, I have such respect for all that you're doing, and uh, it's a great honor to be with you today. Oh, thanks so much. We, um, for those of you listening, we, you may remember we had Alex come speak here in the uh, Midlothian area at Swift Creek Presbyterian last year. We had a great turnout of, um, of men and women, um, who were, who were there being sharpened in how to answer their kids' tough questions. And so it's, this is our second conversation with Alex once in person, once now on podcast. So, Man, we're just going to dive right in, Alex, and just let the audience just hear from you. I think you have a great way of of putting truths into words. Um, you travel so much. You speak to so many different groups around the country on apologetics. Uh, do you think that most church-going Christians right now in the country are adequately prepared to articulate what they believe and why? Or do you think this is an area where we're lacking? Uh, great question, Dave. Um, I've got to say probably most do not have the the ability to defend what they believe. I mean, there are millions of Christians, and they're, they're very sincere, and they're very committed to the Lord. But when it comes to really uh, in the you know arena of ideas, give— uh, good, compelling reasons why Christianity is true, um, I think they're probably not all that prepared, because um, the the churches, and I, I love the church, Dave, I mean, it's been my honor to speak in more than 2,200 churches of all denominations, but um, it, it seems like as our culture has gotten, you know, super busy, uh, everything's online, the attention span of uh, people seems to have gone down, really giving place for the Word of God, um, not only in the Sunday morning services, but in, you know, like Sunday school and small groups, you know, really devoting the time to drill down deeply and internalize the Word of God. It seems like in many a church that's kind of been pushed aside. So the, the American church, much as I love it, is kind of like five miles wide and a quarter inch deep. Mm-hmm. And not all, but um, the substance of, of 
knowing what we believe and being, you know, really confident to discuss, explain, even defend our Christian faith, it's just not there. And I think the proof in that, Dave, is that 75% of youth, the stats vary, but 75% of the youth raised in Christian homes make a profession of faith at some point, maybe in their adolescence. But after high school, they're not living as disciples, not going to church, not really affirming that Jesus is the one and only Savior. And um, now, uh, a number of them, not not many, but of the 75% that leave Christianity after high school, about one-fifth, about 20%, will come back in their late 20s to mid-30s. I say limp back to church because mm. they very often come back with uh, emotional, intellectual, and even personal baggage. But um, the the solid, stable, fruitful, consistent Christian life is just not present to the degree that it ought to be. Sorry, sorry to give a long answer to a no, short that's question. that's so good. You know, you... But that that's just the state of the church in America right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You know, you talked about the short attention span and and discipling and going deep and how that takes time. And it's funny, I was in a uh, group this morning and we were, we were, um, we were discussing this very thing, a virtual online group. And, and one of the guys in the group said, man, this is to, to really get good at this, to become knowledgeable and be able to articulate those, these answers about what we believe and why this is going to take months. <laughs> Right. And he was realizing that as he was thinking out loud. And I was like, yes, that is absolutely right. This is a journey that will take months and months and months. Right. And, um, and he's committed and he's, he's all in on it. But I just think that that's one of those critical pieces that's just missing in so many areas of our, of our short attention span society is everyone wants that soundbite. Um, even, even when it comes to Sunday mornings and, and their beliefs and, and as, men who are going to be fulfilling the great commission to make disciples, man, we got to be ready to go deep. Yeah, uh, we, we do. And, and, you know, I want to challenge pastors and, and I have pastored two churches and spoken, I mean, in every conceivable context from, you know, children and youth to grownups to seniors, big and small, you know, it's, it's been such a blessing and is such a blessing, but you, you name it, I, I, I've been there. And I want to challenge pastors, don't be afraid to drill down deeply and talk to people about, you know, everything from, you know, Greek and Hebrew word meanings to the, the great theological concepts, Christology, soteriology, uh, you know, theology proper, the attributes of God. I mean, we, we need to know this. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible the Bible tells us to be a steward. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says we are, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your mortal body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we think of stewardship, I mean, we think of money, how we handle money. We might think about the stewardship of our time. Maybe we think about the stewardship of our influence, our reputation. But I think we need to talk about the life of the mind. 
and the stewardship of, of our learning and, and our thought life. And um, the church throughout history, I mean, the church has been the, the paragon of learning and intellectual activity. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, says the local congregation deserves the highest scholarship the church has to offer. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I mean, you know, in, in my home state of North Carolina, the, the North Carolina public school system, and, and, you know, I've researched this extensively and written about it, but the the public school system started in churches. Um, now, why was the church such a promoter of literacy? Well, so that people could learn to read black, white, slave, free, uh, teach the children to read. Why? So they can read the Word of God yep. and find Jesus. And so um, there was a man, a great apologist named Alvin Plantinga, and he wrote a book probably 40 years ago called The Twin Pillars of Christian Scholarship. And those pillars are faith and reason, and they complement each other. And faith is not some blind leap in the dark, but faith is a reasoned response to available knowledge. I mean, faith means trust. And uh, I'd love to talk about the many faith decisions everybody makes on a daily basis. But um, I really think part of the solution to the great problem of people falling away, um, part of the solution is that we really teach people to think and to understand that the Christian faith is a reasonable, rational faith, a, a desirable faith. I mean, Christianity is worth my full-out commitment because it's real. Jesus is risen. Uh, This is true. The Bible is the Word of God. Uh, The Lord does have a plan for my life, blessing and peace and uh, favor. And so the Lord is worthy of everything I've got and the best I can give Him. And... uh, Every waking moment is is my walk with the Lord Jesus, and and I I think we've got to impart that that fire and that substance so that people will want to stay with the church and with the Lord. Right, I agree, and you know I love what you just uh, put a definition there to faith, right? About not being a blind faith, and it's important that Christian men understand that when we talk about faith, we're not talking about a blind faith; we're talking about a reasonable faith that's based on the evidence, right? Um, yeah. And that's a very different thing than what um, some people use that word to describe, especially when they describe it uh, disparagingly as, as as they think that Christians, you know, have some blind faith. When in fact, right. you know, we, we have a very reasonable faith and it probably takes a lot more faith, you know, to believe that everything came from nothing than oh, yeah. to believe that there's an intelligent designer. You know, um, in in writing, um, in fiction, one of the things that an author has to consider is in in crafting what's called a story arc, um, how much am I asking the reader to believe? Mm. Let let me give you an example of this, like in a movie. There was was a movie 20 years ago called Independence Day. Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith is in it and aliens come to Earth. Well. See, 
a lot of movies are like atheism. They're asking the the viewer to believe way too much. Now, mm. now you can push the envelope and you can ask a reader or a viewer to take some pretty big leaps. But like in the movie Independence Day, okay, here come the aliens, the human race is in jeopardy. So Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, somehow they secretly get into the alien spacecraft. Jeff Goldblum has an Apple computer, and it just so happens the alien spacecraft runs on a map. And <laughs> seriously, there's this scene, and I remember, and this is you know, 20 years ago, that I'm in the movie theater. The whole audience groaned because it just so happened Jeff Goldblum's MacBook laptop had the same operating system as the aliens and a USB cable, and he was able to successfully plug in, and he hacks their password, and he is able to commandeer this UFO and drive it. Now, the idea that people from uh, an advanced civilization uh, use Mac, I mean, that was, I remember thinking as an author and writer, I remember thinking, whoever wrote this script is that's a bridge too far. That's what I, I mean, was just asking, thinking, right? You're asking the audience to believe way too much. Now, the reason I bring that up is like with atheism, I mean, you're asking me to believe, and we've never observed any of this. We, you know, uh, evolution and atheism prides itself on being very empirical. And yet, we've never observed something come from nothing, something turn into something else. Chaos is the mother of order. We've never observed inanimate matter develop consciousness. We've never observed information come from a non-intelligent source. And the DNA, every yeah. plant, animal, and human is DNA, and that's encrypted data. So um, it's like my, my friend and mentor, the late Norm Geisberg, used to say, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas Christianity, the word the word faith is the Greek word pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-A-U, um, and we get the word epistemology from this, which is you know how we know what we know. Faith is a reasoned response to available knowledge. Now, I've I've done debates at a couple of hundred universities, and you know, very often atheists will say, "Well, I don't do anything by faith." I'm like, really? You, have you never eaten in a restaurant? Did you interview every cook? Did you look at every expiration date? You know, how do you know the, the guy's been to culinary school? Maybe he's a terrorist. He's going to feed you anthrax. No, you just trusted. You know, I don't think this restaurant is trying to kill me. <laughs> you know, gosh, golly, I'll roll the dice. I'll eat here. You know, and I, I'll ask audiences. I'll say, have you ever flown on an airplane? Okay, everybody has. I'm like, really? Did you interview the mechanics? How do you know the guy's a technician? Maybe he's a terrorist. How do you know that guy's a pilot? No, you yeah. just, based on available knowledge, you make a proportioned, reasoned decision. Now, when it comes to God, Jesus, and the Bible, all of the known data is best understood in terms of God existing. Creation, conscience, scripture, savior. You've got Jesus hands down the most verified life of the ancient world. 
by, by all of the, what are called the canons of history, how professional historians adjudicate, did something happen or not? Did somebody live or not? You know, early eyewitness, multiple eyewitnesses, hostile testimony, hands down, the most historically documented life of the ancient world, Jesus, the empty tomb, the Bible, the manuscripts, fulfilled prophecy, divine power to change lives. What I'm saying is, um, not only is belief in Christianity justified, what I would say is obstinate unbelief in the face of compelling lines of evidence is really what is unjustified. Wow, that is a powerful statement. Can you say that again for us? Um, I, I would say belief in Christianity is completely, reasonably, logically, rationally justified. And what is unjustified is obstinate unbelief in the face of so many undeniable, compelling lines of evidence. That is so good. Obstinate unbelief in, in, in light of so much compelling evidence. That's not reasonable. It, yeah. That's so good. And, you know, um, one of my heroes is a guy named Thomas Aquinas. Um, Catholic listeners will instantly know Aquinas. Hands down, one of the top five or six intellectuals that ever lived in world history. I, I frankly think, along with Aristotle, um, Thomas Aquinas is one of the most intelligent mortals that ever lived. He lived uh, 1225 to 1274. And Aquinas, by the way, we are not Muslims today, mm -hmm. at least in part, thanks to Thomas Aquinas, who in the 1200s, as uh, Ottoman Turks were sweeping across Europe, and Europe was very much in danger of falling to the sword of Islam, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, he just emboldened hundreds of thousands of people through apologetics, proclaiming Christianity, equipping farmers. You know, what's wild is Aquinas, who is the brilliant philosopher and theologian, uh, the last thing he did before he died, he pastored a small church in Naples, Italy. And the farmers, they said that farmers, peasants, would arrive before sunrise to hear him preach. They would have to do three services, and people came in. Wow. They would have to forcibly make people leave so the next group could get in because he was very simple, uh, even though he was very brilliant. But Aquinas said this. He said, if anything is true, then truth exists. See? And yeah. so people today are asking, you know, is there ultimate truth? Of course. Now, college kids are told at most universities, there is no objective truth. We all make our own truth. Now, there, there are things that are objectively true for all people, like, uh, you know, water, air, and nutrition. You know, um, Dave, people will say, well, you know, that's true for you, but not for me, and we all make our own truth. No, for all humans, it is factually, ontologically, objectively true. Yep. Hey, this is Dusty Shadow Parker. I just wanted to take a break here and tell y'all, help us reach more men. 
We cannot sharpen men into the husbands, fathers, and leaders that God designed us to be without your financial support. Your donations enable us to launch and sustain tribes at more churches and reach more men with the gospel of Christ. Men's Alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your financial support is tax deductible. Go to mensalliancetribe.com slash support to join our team. Now go refill up your coffee and enjoy the rest of this podcast. All right, welcome back to the Men's Alliance podcast. We're talking today with Alex McFarlane, author and speaker. And we've got his website in our show notes. You need to go take a look at all that this man is doing. And before our break, Alex was talking about objective truth and a little bit about what's being said on college campuses. Alex, you want to uh, continue with that thought? Sure. And uh, Dave, first of all, thanks again for having me. And I, I, I just thank the Lord for what you're doing with Men's Alliance. You're, man, you're uh, making a you're putting points on the scoreboard for God's kingdom. And uh, I oh, really man. count it a privilege to know you, brother. Oh, thank you. Well, same same here. Man, yeah. that's great. Well, it, it's exciting, isn't it? Um, yeah, I want to I finish that thought I was sharing. But um, one of my favorite verses is Second uh, Peter 1.16 in the New Testament. And, and by the way, you know, Peter was a fisherman. P- Paul was a scholar debated at Mars Hill. Luke was a physician. But sometimes, um, you know, men will say to me, well, you know, I, I'm i not a theologian. I'm not all that smart, you know, whatever. Um, but Peter, man, Peter was no scholar. Mm-hmm. And yet the Apostle Peter, man, he was a powerful defender of Christianity. And in Second Peter one sixteen, he says, regarding the gospel, he says, we have not followed cleverly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so uh, this thing called Christianity and the Lord Jesus, I mean, this is objective truth. Now, sometimes I'll be at universities and, you know, professors will kind of piously say, well, you know, there is no truth applicable to everybody. We all make our own truth, but there, there are undeniable truths applicable to all people. I mean, without water, you will dehydrate and die. Without food, go long enough without nutrition, you will die. Um, definitely go without oxygen, you know, 11 to 13 minutes, you'll have brain damage and die. So it is objectively true that all people need water, oxygen, and nutrition. So there are some truths universally relevant to all human beings. Well, if there are some truths that are true for everybody, maybe there are a few more, Yeah, <laughs> like that Jesus Christ died for all of our sins, and we come to know him by putting our faith in Jesus. So because—I'll say this, Dave, and then we can change gears, but because we've had in our culture a loss of truth, we're currently in the midst of a loss of identity. Mm. Um, we, we've really kind of walked away from acknowledging what's real. And one of the fallouts has been that we really don't completely know who we are and what our roles are in life. 
And I really think the recovery of truth is going to help us in the recovery of our identity and our purpose. That's right. That's right. And when culture attacks truth, as is so popular for them to do right now, I think we need to see a little bit beyond that initial layer, right? That is actually an attack on on Jesus who said I am the truth. Right? And so I think there's a there's a definite spiritual warfare component which is which is fueling this attack on truth, right? An attack on truth is yeah. an attack on Jesus. Amen. Bro, well said, brother. Because look, I mean, look, if if relativism is true, relativism says we all make our own truth. You know, objectivism, Christianity says, no, there there is objective truth and, and you can know it. Uh, but if the modern world is correct, then Jesus is wrong. You know, mm. I mean, because G- Jesus claimed to be the son of God, the one and only way to heaven. Um, Jesus claimed that if we did not acknowledge him as Messiah, we would die in our sins. That's John 8, 24. Um, so sometimes I'll be on panels and, you know, people of various strata will kind of push back on some of the claims of the gospel. And also, you know, Jesus claimed to be God incarnate and the, the one and only way of salvation. Was he right or was he wrong? Um, there you go. By the way, there's, yeah, I mean, if, and and so if Jesus was was mistaken about his own identity, if Jesus was misleading us about salvation, then we shouldn't believe him. But here here's the thing: uh, Jesus has a way better resume than all of the voices of unbelief in our culture. I mean, you know, prophesied coming, virgin birth, sinless life, miraculous deeds, rose from the dead. Uh, Jesus's pedigree trumps any voice of unbelief or skepticism. And so, you know, I've, um, and, and believe me, there, there is so much more we could talk about in any one of these um, topics, but, you know, I've been on many a university stage and I'll have, you know, somebody with a PhD, you know, deconstructing Christianity. And I'm like, look, I hear you. And I, I know there's a lot of brazen swagger among atheists nowadays. It's like, I don't need God. Uh, I'm like, well, I hear you, but uh, the only guy that ever rose from the dead talked about truth and our accountability to truth. And um, you know, walk on water, then we'll talk. <laughs> you uh, know, I I um, <laughs> love this tactic that you're using, and this is something that we we teach men um, in men's alliance when they're when they're going through their patch class to earn their men's alliance patch is defer to Jesus. Just sometimes in a in a confrontation with a skeptic or atheist, we need to move out of the way. It's not my opinion versus theirs. It's it's yeah. theirs versus Jesus. Right. If yeah, I can just kind of step aside and say, well, it doesn't really matter what I think. Uh, let's see what did Jesus have to say about that? What did Jesus say on this topic? Right. That just kind of instantly um, destroys any claims of of relativism or pluralism. That, that, that's true. And, you know, um, there's a very interesting quote by Napoleon. I don't, um, you know, history tells us that uh, Napoleon was eventually arrested and exiled to an island. And um, 
you know, the, the story is that, you know, before he died, Napoleon became a very solid Christian. And in his journal, he wrote this. He said, um, basically, if Jesus wasn't the Son of God, then we have a, an even bigger enigma on our hands, the conversion of the whole world by a lie. Mm-hmm. And so Napoleon, it's very interesting. He said, um, I was able to control thousands of people, but I had to be physically present to do it. He said it was either by fear or adoration people would follow me. But he said, but in order to do that, I had to be physically present, make eye contact, and either through, you know, this uh, psychophancy and adoration, people would follow me, or by intimidation. He said, but Jesus, and this is nearly verbatim from what Napoleon wrote, he said, Jesus makes a very high demand, a demand that is hard to satisfy. He demands your all. He demands your life, said Napoleon. He said, and yet for 19 centuries, because this was written in the early 1800s, he said, though not physically present, though we don't see him, you know, physically, people, millions the world over, willingly, joyfully give their life, their loyalty, their all to Jesus, even though they don't see him physically present. He said, this convinces me of the divinity of Christ, Napoleon Bonaparte. He said, he must be the son of God because there is an inexplicable love, loyalty, commitment that people show, even though we won't see him till we get to heaven. Mm. And by the way, in, in apologetics, this is kind of like what we might call an eclectic approach. Mm-hmm. So let, let me give an illustration. Uh, let, let's say the roof is leaking. You got like six leaks in your ceiling. Um, if you only had one bucket that, you know, you got five other leaks, you have an address. But so, um, in Christianity, I understand there there are honest questions and even objections. People ask, well, you know, why is there evil in the world? You know, if if God is real, why doesn't he just snap his fingers and eradicate pain and suffering and evil? Then somebody asks, and they'll say, well, you know, I know Christians, and man, they, they're, they're no better than anybody else. They, right. In fact, sometimes Christians live pretty rotten lives. And then somebody goes, well, you know, what about Moses? Did he really part the Red Sea? I mean, how could that have happened? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, you know, well, what about Charles Darwin? What about evolution? I mean, uh, did God, are we the product of a mighty God or a muddy glob? You know, mm-hmm. and then what about, what about uh, the resurrection? So an eclectic approach to apologetics, you know, we can talk about the, the logical cohesion of the Christian faith. We can respond to the problem of pain and suffering. In fact, really only Christianity has an answer to the problem of evil and pain. Yep. And then we can talk about the miracles and the evidence for all of these biblical miracles that we read. And then we can talk about, uh, you know, the empty tomb and the preservation of the manuscripts. And so we take um, all of these apologetics buckets and we say, look, here's you, you still have to trust. You still have to believe by faith. But we have a compelling, cohesive, corroborated, 
logical response to any one of the questions or the objections. And you say, wow, every leak in the ceiling has been addressed. And uh, we're, you know, um, all that's left is to take that personal step and say, Lord, I believe. And uh, do you know what, Dave? I got saved when I was 21 years old. I, I was a church member um, and in in some ways was a pretty good moral kid. In some ways I wasn't. I knew I was deceptive and I knew that I was a sinner. I lied to my parents. I, you know, clocked in late at work. Um, I, I did enough right to slide by. But I had a very dark heart, and I knew I did. Um, but at 21, through a Monday night Bible study, you know, heard about Jesus, and not only that he 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 could and would forgive my sins and save my soul and change me, but I knew that I needed it. And you know, Dave, there might even be somebody listening right now, and that they know about God. But the time has come to get on board and really establish a relationship with God. Mm. And fortunately, Jesus, we often say this, it's, it's true. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. And um, I went through a time, Dave, I, I thought I was like too bad to be saved. I had grown up as a kid, played with a Ouija board, taken the Lord's name in vain, um, stole out of my dad's cash register. My father had a a store on our farm. I stole money out of my dad's cash register. I later confessed it and tried to make it right. But here's the thing. In John six thirty seven, Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will in no way reject. And I don't know. I just felt led to say this, Dave. There might be somebody listening. And look, we we men, uh, our, our heart can be a, a locked closet full of secrets. Yeah, there might be somebody who thinks, you know, not me. I'm I'm way too bad. Even Jesus couldn't fix me. Yes, He can, and He loves you. Yeah, and you, know, you turn to the Lord, and He He will He will restore. He will forgive. He will make you right. And uh, isn't it something that we we truly find ourselves once we come to Jesus? Savior. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you said that. Um, it's such a good reminder to us all, right? Jesus is only prayer away is is a powerful truth, right? It's not just a saying or cliche. It's true. Um, to to our specifically to our dads who are listening to this, Alex, what would you say is the most important thing that fathers need to know about leading their families spiritually? Well, you know, I I think for one thing, it it is the most rewarding, most fulfilling thing ever. Um, Mm. Honestly, that that purpose and that uh, fulfillment and just satisfaction with life, you know, everything you're you're longing for, guys, you're going to find it in loving the Lord, loving your spouse, and loving your family. I mean, yeah. really. Um, you know, Dave, I've got a, a study here from the University of Southern California at Santa Barbara, and um, 
it's basically talking about the people that are the most emotionally fulfilled, sexually fulfilled, financially stable, even healthy, are the people that are committed to their spouse and their family. And this study um, was in Psychology Today. I mean, it lists like 20 you know, toxic things in life, whether it's, you know, substance abuse or depression, even here's the thing. And this is just uncanny. Um, you're even less likely to get in a car wreck <laughs> when you're married and committed to your family. I mean, it's, but medical science and mental health professionals are validating what the word of God says. Yeah. There's, there's joy and fulfillment and even blessing and stability in family. So uh, the other thing I would say, guys, is um, the spiritual outcome of your children is directly contingent on the level of commitment shown by the father. And, you know, thank, thank God for Christian moms. But there, there was a study by Cornerstone Magazine, and it was validated by several different groups. Um when the mother is a faithful churchgoer, there's about a 55% chance the kids are going to stay with Jesus in church after high school. But when mother and dad together uh, go to church, take the family to church, and do th- daily discipleship things like read, you know, read our daily bread or open windows or read a devotional. When mom and dad pray together before bed, when when you pray before the meal, when the father leads out and is the spiritual shepherd of the home, there's like an 85% chance that the kids will stay with Christianity after high school. Mm. By the way, another study, a Harvard University study, uh, and it, it wasn't uh, specifically Christian, but there was a lot of Christian residue, but when a husband and wife have a daily spiritual time together, like we could call it, you know, have devotions or quiet time, even a a little five minute read a Bible verse and say a prayer. The divorce rate was one divorce in a thousand and eleven couples. Wow. I mean, in other words, nil. Right now, you know, the divorce rate is like in the 60 percentiles. You know, roughly six out of 10 marriages end in divorce. Harvard University, when couples have a brief, brief little spiritual time together every day, the divorce rate is like one out of 1,011 couples. Wow, that is so encouraging to hear, right? Yeah, and um, hey, you know, I've got this kind of little axiom in my heart. I, I never recommend a book that I myself haven't read at least once. Right. And... um. It's kind of an oldie goldie, but Charles Spurgeon, he was a great British preacher uh, a century ago. But he, there was a book called Morning and Evening Devotions. Incredible book. Um, Billy Graham has put out a devotional book. Josh McDowell, a uh, great leader, a very close personal friend. But Josh has a book called Josh McDowell's Book of Family Devotions. Um, there are things like Our Daily Bread, which... It's online. Sometimes I read it on my phone, but that's what I fine. that's what I grew up with on our kitchen table. Either my dad or my mom one would read that day's daily bread, 
every single morning as we were jumping down cereal, heading out the door for school. It was always, hold on a sec. And, you know, I love those little, our daily bread devotions. They're so short and yeah, they, they're to the point and they have a relevant truth. I love those because no matter how busy you are, you've got time for that. And we're going to put and, these and books you. that you just mentioned, we're going to put those in our show notes for guys. And and look at you. You've stayed with the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I love that stuff too. And I mean, I love just to read the Word and study my Bible. But these little quickie, little three, four-minute devotionals, they they really – they give you a little boost of nutrition. It's like a, it's like a cliff bar, yep. you know, for your soul. <laughs> yep. And you know, as men, we, we need our own deeper, longer, uh, you know, devotion for sure. But then these that we're talking about, these are good ones to just kind of put the whole family on the same page, right? They're kind of yeah. the, the connecting link. They can't be the only thing we're getting, but they're, they're an important link that this puts the whole family on the same page, man. I hope you're hearing how important it is to lead your families spiritually. And Alex, one of the things we talk a lot about around our fire is how every single one of us, I believe, hears this message from from Satan that says, you're not qualified to lead, that brings up our past failures and tries to silence us, tries to keep us on the sideline um, by playing back. Our, our sins to us. And I think a big part in leading your family spiritually in a little devotion or beyond is to learn how to reject that accusation, to ignore it, to step into the game anyway, right? Fashion your chin strap and get in the game. You don't have to be the greatest player, right? You don't have to be the most spiritual. You can be imperfect. You can have a flawed past and you can still say, Hey guys, I know I'm not perfect, but I want to lead us in this devotion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and Satan is the accuser. Um, the Bible says that in John 10, verse 10, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So, you know, we got to believe what's true. And the truth is that, that God is for you. God uh, wants to use your life. And um, the, the example of the Father is, so much more powerful, I think, than we even, you know, can calculate. And so stop making excuses and stop saying, oh, I'm inadequate. Yeah, we're all inadequate, but God loves us anyway. You That's know? so good. I want to ask you uh, one final question for time today, but I, I would, I'm so excited to hear your answer to this. What do you think is the biggest obstacle right now culturally that's preventing husbands uh, but also just whole families from spiritual growth. What's What do we need to be on the lookout for as the weapon that our culture is using right now to hold us back? Um, it, well, two things. It, let, let me say this. Um, emotionally and technologically. Emotionally, we tell ourselves, you know, because I can't do everything, I won't do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, God doesn't tell us to save the world, God just tells us to be faithful and obedient day by day, right? And yeah. so First um, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yay. So whatever I do with and for Christ, I mean, it really does matter. So our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So stop 
what's up assuming you know because i can't do everything i'm right. just not going to do anything yep but on the technological side social media and internet and and mm. look i get it we're all online we're all on mobile devices we there's apps and websites and i get it but let me just say um discipline yourself just like anything anything done to excess can be very detrimental and so uh, unplug and disconnect and connect with your spouse and kids connecting with your spouse is something that i think you know i do i do uh relationship coaching and that's one of the biggest things I see as well is we get so busy doing life, uh, going to work, taking kids to their sports, paying bills, blah, blah, blah. I ask guys all the time when they come in for marriage counseling, when was the last time you sat down and had a 15 minute conversation with your wife about how things are going? Not about, not about logistics, about oil changes and, we need more milk, but about thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams. Every single time they say, they just laugh. <laughs> They're like, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know. We don't do that. Right. And it's just like, well, how do you think you're going to be close if you're not talking? If you just yeah. the bare minimum, sit down and talk together for a few minutes every day. Right. That's, that's the connection point that I see that I would agree is one of the biggest weapons or obstacles that culture is using is it's so we're so busy, we're so distracted and we're not taking the necessary time each day to, to connect with our families. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the, I'd love to do an entire show with you and talk about navigating the danger points of, of marriage, you know, the, the, the the rocks that marriages crash on yeah because let's you know, do let's do study. one <laughs> yeah for real um but the lord will help you do what's right and and i think one of the one of the reasons that the family has been so under attack in our lifetimes dave is because marriage and family is a picture of the gospel just like uh jesus the bridegroom laid down his life for the bride, the church. We husbands are to lay down our lives for our bride. That's right. And I know sometimes we do, and sometimes we could do better. God will forgive us. But, you know, it's, um, you know, the New Testament says that we're to love our wives, uh, that our prayers be not hindered. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, a, a, a man's strength with the Lord and the vitality of his prayer life and his walk is directly contingent on how you how you love and care for your wife. Oh boy, that is so good, man. Yeah, the, the favor and the blessing of God is absolutely contingent on how you're treating your your wife, guys. And look, mm. I've I've done it both ways. I'm I'm a recovering knucklehead, okay. <laughs> and, and and the beautiful thing, see, God has a purpose for everything. Nothing is random or arbitrary. And uh, doing life God's way brings blessing in all of the areas. And we, we guys, and I know, like I say, I'm a, I'm a survivor of Alex. Uh, thanks to the Lord and a godly woman myself, I'm, I'm, I'm surviving this 
potentially disastrous thing called myself. And we guys, we think we're going after the right thing. And very often we make decisions that are very counterproductive, if not self-destructive. And so in marriage and family, when we do it God's way, we learn more about the love of Jesus, the faithfulness of God. God gently and mercifully saves us from ourselves. And we learn the joy, and, and there is joy in serving others yeah. and, and thinking less of ourselves and loving our wife and family like Christ loved the church. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I got to tell you, and I, I'll say this, and I know we got to wrap up, but um, if I could ask the Lord for one thing, you know, people say, you know, what about America? I mean, is it politics? Is it the economy? And those things are important. I'm like, God save the family, and it will save the nation. And wow, the, the, there it is. the restoration of the family is dependent on Christ. Uh, that's so good. Alex, I wish we could just keep talking. We will absolutely have you on the, on the show again. We want to do more podcasts with you on different topics. Uh, this has been just a fantastic conversation with you and a true honor. Thank you for coming on our podcast today. Right. God bless you, Dave. And, and I, again, I applaud what you're doing with Men's Alliance. Thank you. Man, you, you heard it today, the importance of leading your family spiritually, taking those time, make those connections, connecting points, leading even a short devotion pays off exponentially um, in your relationships with your, with your kids and with your wife and in their spiritual growth and development. Um, man, Keep doing what you're doing. Keep leading both at Men's Alliance and at home. God is spreading this fire of Men's Alliance across the country, and I look forward to seeing each of you around the fire soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Men's Alliance podcast. Find your tribe at mensalliancetribe.com, or maybe you're the man to start one in your area. And send us your questions or comments to info at mensalliancetribe.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to seeing you around the fire soon. Father God, we love you. We thank you for salvation. Thank you for the privilege of service. Holy Spirit of God, please be with us. Quicken our mind. Guide our words. Bless Dave and the Men's Alliance. Thank you, Lord, that you're raising this up. And please keep your hand upon it. Uh, Lord, I know that if we had a big, big, big evangelism and revival among the men of this nation, it would change our country and our children and children's children. So bless this podcast. Be with us in this recording. Keep your hand upon uh, my life and all that we've got going on. And Lord Jesus, please have mercy on this country. Call us back to yes. you. And use our lives and use this podcast in the process. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, thank you so much. Amen.